we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Today we continue our series on the emotionally healthy church. This is our practical series looking at the five factors that impact the emotional health of us all. In the first of our series, Emily Finch looked at kindness. What does it mean to be kind? What does kindness look like and what impact will it have on others? Then Josh looked at hope. What does it mean to hope? What does it mean to hope that our situation will change? That things will be different? And then we looked with Christian at endurance. To keep running the race that God has got marked out for us. To know that things will be better, but to keep fighting until they are. And today, I'm going to be looking at forgiveness. And I'm somewhat daunted. I'm somewhat daunted looking at this topic of forgiveness. But I don't underestimate the privilege that I have to try and discern this emotional emotive and contentious subject. So as we discover what biblical forgiveness looks like, I urge you to leave behind a defensive state. I urge you to leave, back, leave behind uh, a state of mind that says, if you knew what I'd been through, if the trauma you knew that I'd been through, you wouldn't think the way that you think, or you wouldn't believe what you believe. If you'd lived my life, then you would think differently. But I pray and long That God will speak through me today. The God who is living, the God who knows your situation, knows what you've been through, would speak through me and would touch your heart and renew it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we seek to understand more about forgiveness, would you open our hearts and minds to seek your will for our lives? I pray you'd speak through me and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. Amen. For those of you who um, don't know me, my name is Ewan and uh, I uh, have a background in criminology and particularly the study of criminal behaviour and I'm fascinated by psychology, uh, by sociology and um, the impact that the society that we live in has on our psychology, on our behaviour uh, absolutely fascinates me and this notion of forgiveness and redemption through the, uh, through the eyes of a psychological model is fascinating. On uh, reviewing the psychological research, we find that those who harbour negative thoughts, those who harbour unresolved conflicts, stuff that hasn't been settled, it can have massive implications not only on our emotional health, but interestingly on our physical health. Those who do not practice forgiveness are far more likely to have high blood pressure. They're far more likely to have an increased heart rate. They're far more likely to have uh, heart disease, cancer and staggeringly, right, And really, really sadly, that those who do not forgive are much more likely to die earlier than those who who practice forgiveness regularly. And in terms of our emotional health, our cross-cultural research, uh, cross-continental studies, studies that go across all societies, show that practicing forgiveness regularly, in other words, having the trait of forgiveness, something we call forgivingness, is incredibly beneficial. It found that those with the highest level of forgiveness, those who practice forgiveness regularly, actually had a higher protection from stress against their mental health. 
So that those who practice forgiveness on a regular basis actually have protection from other stress factors affecting their mental health. But forgiveness is not just a truly uh, good psychological and physiological trait to own. But it's a truly biblical trait. Forgiveness is effectively at the core of the Christian message. You know, many times I think it's possible that we... We start to make the Christian message something different. We try and allocate the core to something else. We say that it's about doing good or it's about community. It's about looking out for one another. We try and make the core maybe more palatable for others. But when we think about it, when it comes to it, the absence of forgiveness at the heart of the Christian message renders it useless. A God who loves us who created the world, sent his son to be born of a virgin, and uh, he lived a life that is perfect, grew up, and died on the cross. Game over. The gospel without forgiveness. But yet, with Jesus' resurrection taking our sins upon himself, the forgiveness, the punishment that we deserved, death was conquered. It was forgiveness, that punishment that we deserved, taken on him, And in his death, and Jesus rising again to glory, that meant that we would go free. That death had indeed lost its sting. And that Christ had reconciled man to God in a moment of divine forgiveness. And as Christians, Christ's followers, it is under that forgiveness that we live. That in asking Jesus to be in our lives, to live in and amongst us, we're covered by his forgiveness. But if I'm honest... If we looked around ourselves, often we'd be hard to push to find ourselves living like that. Living under his forgiveness. We're often too busy trying to stretch to his standards. Trying to make up for our past mistakes. Making sure that we're equal on the good to bad chart. Living in such a way that says, as long as I do better tomorrow, then God will love me more. But let me be quite clear. If we are trying to reach the standard of God... We're not going to make it. Quite frankly, our lives often don't seem to match up to the fact that we're a forgiven people. In Micah uh, Micah 7, verse 18 to 19, it says this. You again will have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. As Corrie ten Boom, a famous uh, Dutch Christian who, along with her uh, father, helped to uh, hide Jews during the Holocaust. And she suffered much abuse and much trauma as a result in concentration camps, says this. God says he will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And then he erects a sign saying, no fishing. No fishing. As we come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, we can be assured of our slate being wiped clean. We can be assured that he has forgiven us. Not only did he forgive us, but actually he took our sin upon himself. He carried them to the grave that we might not have to. And so much of our series on building this emotionally healthy church is focused on the individual's role in achieving emotional healthiness. How kind are we, each of us? Uh, Can each of us last the test of endurance? Can each of us have hope that there might be a different future? However, in creating this body, this emotionally healthy church, we must be a people that embraces the come as we are. 
We must be a, a people who accept that they are forgiven by Jesus and live under that grace. We must not strive to be a church of completion or wholeness, but to be a church of the forgiven. And it's in living with the forgiveness of Jesus in our hearts that we are moved to be a body of the forgiven who forgive others. There's a killer question posed of forgiveness in Matthew 18 in the Bible. And Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? And um, in fairness, Peter has set this benchmark quite high. Most uh, Jewish teachers, Jewish rabbis would have said three was probably adequate. And so Peter's suggested figure of seven has gone quite safe. But Jesus says no. Seventy times seven. 490 times. And so we might think that what Jesus has done is raised the benchmark even higher, given a new standard. But there's something incredibly significant about this number seven. It wasn't plucked out of thin air. It wasn't kind of just brought about on a whim. But it's a number of incredible significance in biblical terms. How many times did, uh, uh, did, how many days did it take for God to create the world? Seven. In Exodus, how many days did the animal have to be left before it was ready to be sacrificed? Seven. How many times is Joshua instructed to walk around the walls of Jericho? Seven. In the book of Revelation, we find there are seven churches, seven angels, the seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpet plagues, seven thunders, and the seven last plagues. In biblical terms, the number seven means wholeness or Completeness. And Peter is in a sense saying at seven times, surely forgiveness is at its completion. And Jesus says, no, forgiveness is an incomplete task. Never stop forgiving. Though we may feel we have completed our quota of forgiving, we must forgive more. Earlier on in our reading, we heard the story of a king who forgives a servant of the debt that he owes. And the Bible tells us that the servant owns around 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. And I'd like to put that into context for you. That's about 160,000 years wages. If we take the average salary in this country, he owes around £3.5 billion. Now, how on earth he managed to rack up that debt, I will never know. But it remains that the king decides to forgive him of his debt. And so the worker has been let off this 160,000 years of wages. And he goes up to the person and requests that he give back what he is owed. About 100 days wages. A far less debt. And playing this with a legal head on, and maybe somewhat controversially, this gentleman is going to recover his debt, what is rightfully his. In a sense, he's actually done nothing wrong. We may be outraged by his behaviour, but he's done nothing wrong. He's just going to recover what he is owed. But what Jesus is saying through this parable is, listen, look at the debt I've forgiven you. It's huge. The Bible makes it pretty clear that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God in Jesus' forgiveness is life eternal. The debt of our sin, for which the price was our lives, in turn, forgive others. It may not be fair, it may not be just, but forgive others as I have forgiven you. And so our response to the great forgiveness of Jesus is that we must forgive others 
talk done, I can go and sit down. Yet the traits of emotional health that we have discussed so far, kindness, hope, endurance, they're not necessarily difficult concepts to understand, really. But yet they are difficult concepts to carry out. Why do sometimes we feel that it's easier to be unkind than kind? Why sometimes we feel that it's easier to lose hope than to carry on hoping? Why sometimes do we feel it's easier to give up than to carry on? And it's the same with forgiveness. The principle may seem easy, but the practice of it is somewhat more challenging. And sometimes I feel this is because we long for some form of threshold of forgiveness. And I've got some names here, right? And um, I want to put them on a scale of uh, kind of goodness on my uh, stand, my lectern, right? And I need some participation here. There are many people in the room. We're not going to get uh, a full consensus, but I hope we can kind of get something out. Um, so I'm going to call out some names. And if you think they should be close to the top, uh, good. Uh, we'll stick them there. If you think they should be close to the bottom, uh, we will stick them there. Um, let's see if these are awesome. Adolf Hitler. Where's he going? We think he's probably going fairly low. Um, what about uh, the Pope? Where would the Pope go on our scale of goodness? Pretty low. <laughs> this is being recorded. Um, <laughs> we'll edit that bit on Monday. Um, the Pope, where are we going? We think higher. Okay, should we go by there? We think higher. You don't know who's to come yet. You don't know who's to come. Okay. Um, Christian Salvaratnam, our vicar. Higher. <laughs> are we going lower than the Pope? We're about to commit heresy here, friends. Um, we're going lower. Okay. There? Yeah? We're happy? Now, this one might change Christian. I'll be honest. Here we go. Um, oh, where's my blue tack? Mary Berry. Is she higher or lower than Christian? I've met her lower. <laughs> Above the Pope. Okay, I think we're we going higher or lower than Christian. This is a controversial move here. Lower. lower. Mm, Christian, you've done well. Better than expected. Um, who else have we got? We've got Myra Hindley, who was a participant in the Moors uh, murders. We're going to say we're going to say lower, lower than Mary Berry, I would hope, uh, but probably less uh, bad than than, than Hitler. Um, uh, Simon Cowell. The bottom. Um, I'm going to veto that one uh, and say probably about here. Are we happy? Um, are we happy? Yeah. Um, okay. David Beckham. High, higher than Christian. Yeah. He's a bad footballer too. And finally, Mother Teresa. Above the Pope. So there is our scale of goodness. So if a threshold of goodness does exist... Can we, can we take a photo above Hitler for any publicity? Um, so if a threshold of good and bad does exist, then those closer to the top must be more worthy of forgiveness. You know, if Mother Teresa or Christian Salvaratnam has done something wrong, then... Our instinct is we probably want to forgive them before we forgive the wrongs of Myra Hindley or Adolf Hitler or even Simon Cowell. But in a world of God's forgiveness, though I find it sometimes less than palatable, there's no scale of forgiveness. 
In a verse that we all know and has become to be the most quoted verse of all times, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There are no terms and conditions attached. God's love and forgiveness is indiscriminate. That whoever believes in him Not based on past actions or crimes, nor those who have scored highly in our goodness scale. But whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And as we have freely received the forgiveness of God, so the Bible says we must freely give to others. Without terms and conditions, without a sliding scale. And sometimes I'm desperate. I am desperate for a justified sliding scale to count people out because they don't quite fulfill my forgiveness criteria. A criteria to make sure I still hold on to some form of justice for those I don't believe should be forgiven. But friends, let me tell you, though we search for our criteria, in God's kingdom, one does not exist. But hear me on this. Forgiveness is difficult. We'll carry on. Forgiveness is difficult. For some of us, it may feel an impossible task. Some of us will no doubt seen things and experience things that we feel are unforgivable. Some of us will have been hurt to the point of brokenness, where forgiveness seems that step too far. For some of us, forgiveness might feel as though we are letting the other person win. And I'm not about to go down the line of telling you that if you just forgive, it would all be all right. That hurt and pain would disappear. If you'd only just forgive, the world would be all right again. But forgiveness is the process of saying, whatever's happened, I will not let it have control over my life. Whatever hurt or pain I've gone through, I give it into the hands of God. And a culture of forgiveness said our past will not define us, nor will it have a grip on our future. As my favourite author, Lewis Mead, says, to forgive is to set the prisoner free and to realise the prisoner was you. This path of forgiveness is a process. It takes a first step to give it to the hands of God and let him take the brokenness and to begin to restore. Friends, forgiveness may not restore a situation, but it may be the starting of restoring a heart. For some people, the final part of my talk might be the most challenging. We've looked at how Jesus has forgiven us, and we've looked at how we should forgive others. But maybe, sometimes maybe, we need to ask for forgiveness ourselves. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we all have. Many of us have done things that we're not proud of, and many of us have done things even worse. And often we try to trivialise those things, we look and we think, uh, like we did on that sliding scale, well I do more good than I do bad, and therefore on balance, on the sliding scale, I am okay. And certainly that argument might stand the test of time, until imagine that one day you walk into this church, and uh, the the, the slideshow is up, and scrolling through on a loop is all the things that we've ever done wrong. In fact, my life's wrongs wouldn't be on a loop, they'd be enough to hold a week of prayer and fasting. But if that was the case, how many of us would feel comfortable sitting here? How many of us would think that our good outweighed the bad that we had done? I wouldn't even entertain the thought of staying in York if my sins were on the screen. But it makes me acutely aware that I have a need for forgiveness. 
I don't come from an Anglican background. In fact, I come from a very much conservative evangelical brethren background. And um, personally, right, I'm sorry to all you Anglicans, I can't stand liturgy, right? I really can't. But there is one thing, (laughs) short intake of breath. (laughs) But there's one thing I love in liturgy, and it's the prayer of forgiveness. That each week there's a slot to come to confess our sins, to put them before God, because so often I don't. In fact, it's not part of my daily routine. But it should be. It should be as regularly as I pray and I thank God for what he's doing. I should be on my knees asking for forgiveness. Often we'll know that we've done wrong and we need to ask for forgiveness from God and from others. But often we need to realign our perspective to see things from another angle. You know, the amount of individuals I've seen over the years that have hurt another person and yet are totally blind to the consequence of their actions is staggering. My, uh, without a doubt, my favourite week of the year, those of you who know me, is our um, family ski holiday, right? I literally look forward to it from the moment uh, the, the, the one ends and to, to the next year. And um, a, number of back, uh, a number of years back, we were learning to ski. And um, we were on holiday in Meribel in France, and my dad and I had a crash. It wasn't anything drastic, but we had a crash. And um, I was livid because I was pretty sure it was his fault, and uh, he was pretty sure it was six or one half dozen of the other six and two threes, uh, if you come from the northeast. Um, and a blazing row uh, ensued. And I couldn't believe that he would think it was my fault that I had somehow cut across him. And as I walked back to the hotel with him, thinking that all hell was about to break loose, my mum alerted my dad to the camera that he was wearing at the time of the crash. And so we reviewed the footage, and I'm going to allow you to do the same now. It wasn't six or one, half a dozen the other. He wiped me right out. (laughs) And you know what? Sometimes it takes us to have a realignment of perspective, to realise where we need to be forgiven. We've never let that slip, and we've always asked for continued forgiveness for his horrific skiing abilities. (laughs) So what are my final thoughts on forgiveness? It's hard. It isn't easy. But I don't think it was ever meant to be. Forgiveness requires a boldness and a vulnerability. It requires incredible strength and resilience. It requires us to leave justice into the hands of God, to let him take care of that. I guess I'm thankful for a church that has far less factions than we know of many churches that do. But if we think they don't exist, we are kidding ourselves. Our unity will only be born out of a forgiving heart and a forgiving culture. Because unity without forgiveness is a delusion. And so in building our emotionally healthy church, it means that we come together in the knowledge and experience that we're deeply loved and deeply forgiven by God. We're quick and plentiful to forgive others. We come together with the recognition that we each mess up. Knowing that we need forgiveness from others and from God. Our emotionally healthy church values others when they get it wrong. It doesn't harbour grudges. It calls people to account when they're wrong but forgives them anyway. Our emotionally healthy church knows that forgiveness is tough but strives for it anyway. In the true knowledge that we can only truly forgive 
with the help and guidance of a loving God. And with God's help, we will. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And in our response today, I really want to make a start on this topic of forgiveness. And um, we'd love to offer prayer ministry for those uh, who, who feel they would need it. And I'm going to be straight up and honest with you, right? At G2, sometimes we are a little bit proud to admit that we might need prayer. We see a threshold. As long as we sit above, uh, above somebody else, we're probably doing better. However, I have no doubt, not a single doubt, that every single person in this room today will fall into either one or more of these three categories. First, perhaps you've struggled to feel forgiven. You struggle to feel that you live in the knowledge that God has forgiven you, that he loves you deeply. You struggle to live under that grace and that eternal life that God has promised. It's not based on a sliding scale of good and bad, but based on your trust in the resurrection. Potentially, you may need to ask for forgiveness from God or from someone else. Perhaps you have been a little short of patience with somebody at work or uni. Or perhaps something you've said has hurt somebody. Or you've just realised that it might have hurt them. Or it could be something much deeper rooted. Something which is governing control of your life that you need to ask for forgiveness for. Finally, it might be that you need to forgive someone. It may be for something small, something that's just got on your nerves, struggling to let go. Or potentially it's something big, something that someone else has done that's had a life-changing impact on you. It may be that you don't think about it regularly, it just comes up now and again. And um, you think maybe it's not such a big deal. We know that our brain is incredibly good at suppressing negative thoughts and emotions in order that we can just get by. But suppressing our thoughts and emotions does not equal dealing with them. I could be seriously out here, but I'm going to challenge you. If you don't feel that you fall into any of these three categories, I'd be slightly concerned. Because as we examine our lives, our experience, maybe even our hopes and our expectations, we begin to see those times we've been hurt, and in times that we have hurt others. What I'm not asking you to do is to divulge any information if you don't want to. This is the work that's done between you and the Holy Spirit. It may be that someone close to you, is here and you'd like to pray with them. I'm also going to ask some of the leadership team uh, to come down here and to, to pray. They're not going to ask you for uh, potentially like what you need forgiveness for. It might just be you turn up to them and say, I just want prayer for forgiveness. I want, uh, I want to, to start a journey of forgiving somebody. They won't ask any further questions. They're not going to dig deeper. They'll pray for you where you're at. When you speak regularly, um, one of the first things you're taught is how do you sum up your whole talk into a couple of sentences. And I don't think I can sum it up better than this. I started with it, and I will close with it. A quote from Martin Luther King, somebody who knows a lot about forgiveness. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us, and there's some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we're less prone to hate our enemies. Please stand with me as we pray and then we're going to go into worship and please come and get some prayer with us here. Dear Lord and Father, we pray that you would bring to the surface those things that we need to ask for forgiveness for. Those times we need to ask to be forgiven. We pray that you would help us to release those things that we are holding, that we are harboring. And Lord, we pray that we would know that we sit under your forgiveness. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. 
Take us, use us, mold us. Let us not carry burdens, but cast them onto your shoulders and live free in the knowledge that you love us. That whoever believes in you shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.